This is the Wandering Berry Center podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Over there is Alex. What's up, everybody? Um, so before we get going, he's actually... Uh, disclaimer real quick. I mm-hmm. am re- I'm recording from a different location. Had to um, help some friends out and watch their dogs. So you might hear some dog noises. There's two um, quite I'm looking large. forward to it, actually. Yeah. They're big. They come in. So... And also there's a fireplace going, so maybe some crackles and some pops from the wood. It just gives it an authentic feel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so before we get going, mm-hmm. if we pause right here. Space news. I'm going to put in a little, news, news, news. little drop right there. There's some space news. They're going um, to try to deflect an asteroid. With a pro- They're going to try to launch a probe into it. So I sent you the article. Yep, I got it in front of me. Okay. I think the second paragraph is what um, I suppose is the important part. They're going to try to knock an asteroid off course by slamming into it with a special probe, traveling traveling at roughly four miles a second. Dang. Yeah. It's pretty fast. uh, What's the name of this thing? I was looking to see what it's called. Uh, The probe itself? Yep. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they're not going to The double it. asteroid redirect test? Oh, DART? There, there it is, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. That was something I just picked out of the article, but... Yeah, it's the DART project, it looks like. And this uh, is by NASA? In collaboration with the European Space Agency. Oh, ESA. cool. Yeah, so... Nice, group, okay. Group effort. Which is awesome, because um, that uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, he's been... And I mean, a bunch of other people, of course, but, you know, the asteroid strikes are... A real thing. Mm-hmm. How close is this one? Because um, I imagine they wouldn't design the system to, you know, go beyond its uh, necessary limits. So, you know, that rock's got to be pretty close if they're going to shoot at it, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's going to be as close, though. I forget the name of it, but there was there was an asteroid we talked about at a lot a long time ago, I don't know how many episodes, but where it's going to slingshot around Earth. Yeah, there's yep. this whole yeah, there's this whole ridiculous thing. So they must be getting ready for that. Hopefully, isn't that crazy that that's a threat in real life? It is that a giant rock might come out of the sky <laughs> <laughs> and just blow just, everything up. Yep, with no remorse, no nothing, <laughs> just oh, one man. two done. So it's going to happen. I yelled um, at a guy in traffic today, but. <laughs> Little do I know that there's a rock hurtling towards Earth. <laughs> My bad. What were you going to say? No, it's all good. Um, <laughs> it's going to happen. Well, the drone itself is hopefully going to hit into Diddy Moon. D-I-D-Y Moon. The oh, the asteroid. okay. October 2022. All right. So, yeah. So, how long does this test last? That's what I want to know. Like... I was, from, I was looking from through the moment article, of yeah. launching this thing, and yeah, I didn't see it. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, actually, Sweet. sorry. So it's going to launch. Okay, here you go. It's going to launch December 2020 at the earliest, and then okay. impact mm-hmm. um, on in 2022. So a year and a month later. Oh no, sorry. Almost two years later. So there you hmm. go. A long time. Okay. Nice. potentially that a long time yeah that's that's the max yeah it mm-hmm. could be they could launch it as late as may 2021 apparently hmm. sweet all right yeah i guess we uh <laughs> it's good that they're working on that <laughs> right. 
I'm not working on it, so I'm pretty nope. happy that somebody is. The other thing I thought would be funny to look up real quick um, is uh, where the Tesla Roadster is. Oh, man. Isn't that crazy? I forgot about that. I forgot there was a car in space. <laughs> <laughs> There's a website. Um, there it is. Whereisroadster.com. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just exactly what it sounds like. Um, I love it. It's when did, when did that launch? When was that? Just over a year ago, like a year just and a few days. Just over a year ago? Yeah. Okay. Wow. So it is past its apex at the top of its orbit relative to us. Mm -hmm. So it's it's coming mm -hmm. back towards us now, right? Um, that's a parapsis, wow. I think it's called. Um, so yeah, it's on its way back to us. And it is 226 million miles away. Yeah, 227. <laughs> Wow, that's uh, I don't really know what that distance is to be honest. I'm trying to think of something to compare it to, but that's just really far. Um, I wonder what it'll be at its closest point when it comes back around. Mm. I don't know. It's a good question. They give you all kinds of fun facts. We'll move on in a minute here, mm. but um, there's one about the radio because there's two songs playing. Um, so assuming the battery still works, Starman has listened to Space Oddity <laughs> 100,000 times, 100,076, huh. and there's another speaker playing Is There Life on Mars, which has played 134,000 times, assuming the battery still works, which it probably doesn't. <laughs> the speaker's in the car or in the helmet? Helmet. Okay. Good point. Good point. You wouldn't be able to hear if it was in the car, right? Right. Okay. Just making sure. <laughs> so yeah it's fun he's out there spaceman he's alone isn't he no partner right that sucks <laughs> okay so i'll start us off today um i know this was actually a suggestion from Allie. this topic okay um we were talking about it and um so have you ever been hypnotized <laughs> no what do you, you think about no i don't think so um not that i can recall uh so what do you think about when i say hypnotize like what is that what do you picture i think most I mean, people picture the the same thing yeah i definitely went to like the watch thing first yeah, i guess like somebody dangling like a watch in front of you yeah but mm -hmm. i suppose any sort of rhythmic um mm -hmm. type thing uh yeah um i also think about pokemon I think because of, <laughs> I mean, definitely agree with what you're saying. I go there first probably, but then Pokemon started coming to mind. Um, probably because of uh, Pokemon Stadium, right? Because it had the Abra minigame. Absolutely. And the Hypno minigame, right? Yeah. With the clocks. <laughs> yeah, hypnotizing so people I... was a big part of that game. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it came up in multiple instances. Not hypnotize, hypnotizing people, I suppose. More Pokemon v. Pokemon battle. Right. <laughs> Should be illegal if it were like dogs. <laughs> they they walk the I mean, a lot of those things, you know, a lot of the different Pokemon after a while, um, I guess even some of the first ones, you know, they're quite close. There is one that's just a dog, basically, at this point. <laughs> There's one that's... What's its name? Just Dag? D-A-G? <laughs> quickly 
Snubble. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's move oh, on that's not that. the one. That's yeah. They've disappointed yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> so when you think about this, the hypnosis thing, um, yeah. the whole watch thing, going back and forth, the rhythmic motion, um, and then basically, at least what most, and including myself, think of, is that the person kind of goes into like some mind control stupor, and you can tell them what to do, tell them what to say, that kind of thing. Right. Right. Um. So I think that's very much like a dramatic version of what it is. Um, and I'm not sure exactly where that dramatization comes from, but what it really is, um, is basically a technique of putting somebody into a really high sense of concentration. Is So there's a little back and forth, actually, on, on what's happening uh, in the brain with this whole hypnosis thing, and, and we can look at that. Um, but that's pretty much agreed on. I think that one way or another, this person's in a really high state of concentration. Um, Which is interesting because I think of it as hypnosis as uh, like just influencing, right? And mm-hmm. if someone someone's in a high state of concentration, I um, I would have thought they would be blocking outside input. But well, it depends on what they're concentrating on. Okay. So. And we can get into it a little bit more later, but the whole idea is that you are concentrating on not only that rhythmic thing, but that that influence of that person and just like this situation going on. So you, you become so concentrated in what they're telling you and, and what you're doing that um, you kind of block things out from that, from hmm. that thing that you're focusing on. So... Um, so it's very interesting. So you're not necessarily like becoming smarter or anything, but you're just so fixated on his words that he tells you something and because of pressure and, and um, your situation, you just end up doing that thing. So you become very suggestible, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's not like sleep. So you might think that uh, when you observe somebody, not necessarily based on what he said, but if you're looking at somebody going through this, that it's kind of similar to sleep. And that was a belief for a while, but the person's actually fully alert the whole time. So it's more like daydreaming than uh, sleep is what it's described as. Well, you say fully alert though. Like if they're, if they're taking outside influence and disagreeing with that influence, but still going with it, which I assume is possible. Yeah, maybe. Right. I don't okay, know. So maybe, <laughs> may, well, no, maybe fully alert is not a good way to describe. It. They're not us. Their brain isn't actually blocking out outside influence like yeah, your brain yeah. does when you sleep, right? It like shuts your motor system away from your brain, basically, so yeah. you freak out in your sleep. <laughs> well, so that's also, not happening, right? I was also thinking about like cognitive. You know, I don't agree with what he's making me do or mm-hmm. wanting me to do, influence me to, me to do. Um, oh, okay. So that's that's actually interesting you bring that up because, um, and uh, yeah, we can totally jump ahead. That's fine. No, um, no, sorry. No, no, no. This is no. It's a good point because there's two very different ways of looking at this. Uh, the whole hypno uh, hypnosis thing. So there's the medical use hypnotherapy and things that go along with that. But then there's also probably what most people think of is like the entertainment side of things. So like stage hypnosis where there's going to be a guy or girl putting on a show and they bring somebody up on stage and, you know, basically make it a comedy kind of thing. Hmm. So there's two, those are two very different things. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess similar principle, but so, but where I'm going with that is on the entertainment side of things, that person that the uh, hypnotist, right? Chooses yeah. from the audience. Um, they want that person to be uh, not skeptical and willing to go along with it. Cause I mean, part of the whole hypnosis thing is actually the person being hypnotized, being willing and not a skeptic of this. So they, they want it to work. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so uh, you end up bringing a lot of actually like the placebo effect into it and just people being subject to outside influence. The crowd aspect is definitely, mm -hmm. yeah, people are fun. So it's interesting. There's a, it is very, it's actually a very fascinating psychological. The whole, uh, the reason I mentioned the, what's going on. Yeah. The, the reason I mentioned the crowd is because mm -hmm. the whole group, the behavior of a group versus an individual is, is yeah. Yeah. A whole big thing. Um, yeah, so that person on stage, if we're talking the stage hypnosis, they are at least, I don't know if they're going to be like a trained psychologist or anything, but they're going to ideally be, um, you know, good in that sense and be able to evaluate people quickly and pick from the crowd. So they're going to try to make a list, a short list of people that they think are going to be good participants for this, that they want to bring up on stage. Um so if you see somebody in the stage, read their body language and read what's going on and you're saying like to yourself as the expert here, you know, that's not going to be a willing person. You're just not going to volunteer them. Right. Um, but it's interesting. So if you get a person that is willing to play along mentally, whether they realize it or not, and then you get them into this hypnotic state, you can, um, they at least on these shows, right? You see people like, saying things silly things that the the hypnotist tells them to say or do things like raise your right hand and put your left hand down or whatever right yeah um so yeah so it's not really that they're in this uh altered state of mind necessarily they're just being subject to all these psychological things so they respond and they do them <laughs> peer pressure i guess yeah just like a really concentrated like Wow. Yeah. Just a. It, it's really fat. And I'm obviously the furthest thing from a psychologist. So I'm not using any probably helpful terms and things like that. But is the <laughs> is the stage version of it, you know, the the image I have in my head, at least at the moment, yeah. you know, um, is that the most common? Do you know? Or, you know, like one on one hypnosis? Like, is that a thing? Um, I don't know, actually. It's definitely from a medical standpoint, but as like. And I don't know how official that means in terms of it being used for medical. Like, is somebody going to a licensed doctor? Or maybe what you're thinking is, do I go to the place around the corner where they're advertising hypnosis out front? I don't know if that's real. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. <laughs> so I'm not sure which one counts as medical. I guess, I guess in my head, I thought maybe a therapist would sometimes use hypnosis. I have no idea why. I think so. The, um, but the around the corner store, you know image you know, i don't like know going to get your palm read or something it's that type of thing yeah <laughs> okay okay i have no idea though I'm well i was gonna say like... who would go willingly get hypnotized and who knows you know give me your wallet and then <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you're in a setting you you just change my mind with you know if you're in a setting of like you know there's a lot of other things tarot card readings and all that other stuff 
mm-hmm. you know i could see where hypnosis might it could fit in maybe yeah um <laughs> so as far as the medical stuff goes uh you talk about who might be willing but um apparently it's most often used to like or i shouldn't say most often but some examples of how it's used is to like help people stop smoking somehow i think maybe i was reading something that it kind of like tends to make people focus on thoughts as well at least in like a therapy setting Mm -hmm. can help them kind of like address uh bad habits and and work on them somehow not sure what that would be like but uh what it says uh and then you can also um use it to help people kind of ease anxiety and stuff like that i I imagine those are definitely your one-on-one sessions with like a therapist or something i imagine um you have to get repeated uh doses of the hypnosis right to help you i would think so yeah Yeah, i would think so i don't think if everybody could just go get hypnotized and true true i yeah i don't smoke anymore i quit this (laughs) afternoon done (laughs) done I end up to getting to the bottom of the, the list for a while. Glad I banged that out. <laughs> yeah, they'd be making a lot. See, that's the thing. That's the thing, though. They'd be making a lot more money if it were, you know. Uh, well, I think you're asking you're asking some pretty good questions, and luckily I have answers. <laughs> um, so it looks like, at least according to the studies that have been done, around fifteen percent of people are able to be hypnotized in terms hmm. of the medical sense. So you have 85% of the people that can't benefit from this. So does the, um, real quick, does the mm-hmm. DSM, I think it is the, the big book of, I'm definitely getting that wrong. You know, what I'm talking about the big book of medical. Um, oh, I don't know. I don't DM know if I've ever known the yeah, name the of D- it. Yeah. The DSM. You're talking about WebMD. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to, yeah, that's that's really what people use. <laughs> no, I was gonna refer. I was gonna refer to the much less referenced, uh, but much more scientific, the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual. Or no, I'm sorry, wrong one. American Psychiatric Associations. Yeah, Diano- Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of uh, Health. I think. Hmm. Anyway, okay. they're on the fifth version. And I was gonna ask you if you knew if hypnosis was in this book. And so this book, what it does is tries to quantify and diagnose and, or help help along that process of like all kinds of stuff but especially mental illness and and whatnot interesting i've never heard of that yeah it's a it's a probably controversial in some corners thing but you know somebody's trying to it's a pretty heavy topic so it is it's uh, bound to be in some way anyway sorry total oh that's all right sidetrack um so yeah so you have 15 percent uh of the people that um are willing or able to be uh, hypnotized allegedly. And then I guess they've done some MRIs on a group of these 15% versus, you know, nice. others, whatever. Nice. And they found that, um, let me find, make sure I wrote it down the word, a larger rostrum. Have you heard of that part of your brain? No. Okay. Me either until today. Maybe, <laughs> maybe fact check me here. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to be like, yeah. Rostrum, bro. I know a couple Size parts of, of the brain, but on the right I side. certainly no. <laughs> um, no expert. The rostrum, you said? Yeah, O-R, or R-O-S-T-R-U-M. 
Corpus Colossum is what comes up when I... Callosum. Hmm. Sorry, not Colossum. I wrote it down wrong, but... It is the wide, thick nerve tract consisting of a flat bundle of fibers beneath the cerebral cortex. So it's real, the large, the rostrum? Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Because I guess what that's associated with, or at least in part, is it's correlated to attention. So in theory, or the theory is that the larger or the larger rostrums allow for higher you know levels of concentration and hmm. those are why those 15 percent of the people are more susceptible to this or not susceptible that's not the right word and then i wonder in terms of the money <laughs> in terms of the money making of all this uh of those 15 percent, let's say it's that mm-hmm. number but it sounds like it's not a huge majority mm-hmm. how many of them really even respond well to like the therapy side of things which mm-hmm. I guess would yeah, limit right. limit your money making if that was your angle limits your market right yeah I could see that being kind of tough just charge the shit out of the people you <laughs> <laughs> what's the what dollar price you put on that <laughs> one <price>. session um, <laughs> yeah. yeah what would you pay oh I don't know what I would um, I would charge <laughs> like two or three hundred maybe if you live in LA, maybe <laughs> it's a specialized service. It's a high it's quality product that I'm that I'm bringing to the market. No, that sounds fair. What am I to? What am I going to question? <laughs> Go to the other hypnotist down the road and check. Get a uh, float tank and everything. It'll be get wild. Now you're talking. Um. Okay, so um, when I was reading this, actually, or looking all this stuff up, it kept making me think about meditation because it does seem really similar right yeah Uh, and i was trying to think of of a good way to explain how it's different um and i guess what i arrived at is it is similar for sure but the a i think meditation is much more scientifically stout with its backup compared to this Hmm. put that out there first um but then, uh, you know, this hypnosis thing is really like a, um, intense focus, whereas meditation is like watching your own thoughts is the best way I could. Being mindful of your own thoughts versus just being really intense on something. And so they kind of look similar and have a similar effect in some circumstances, but I think they're a little bit different. That was a good way to describe that. I could not have. I agree. Hmm. <laughs> Alright, right on. I thought about that for a long time. Yeah. At least twenty seconds. <laughs> um alright, so just a little history real quick. Um which I guess normally we do at the beginning, but that's okay. I didn't look I up just, too much, but I, I literally just thought you saved the history for last and that was a good move. Nice. <laughs> Switch it up a little bit, you know. Um Allegedly, it started in the 1700s by a physician named Franz Mesmer. And honestly, the most fascinating part of this story to me was the fact that apparently Mesmer, as in his last name, gives us the word mesmerize. Hmm. And he was the one to, at least in part, start this whole hypnosis thing in the 1700s. Um, so this guy's story, and keep in mind, people were definitely not as smart then, at least most people. So he thought that people contained magnetic magnetic fluids 
And basically, if he could control the fluids inside this person, then he can control that person themselves. That was his belief. Wow. So he would try to use lights and hand gestures and especially magnets (laughs) and stuff like that to try to, you know, manipulate said fluid. Um, that guy's motivations are a little messed up. His his core, de- <laughs> his core desire, his core desire is to you know control people. I can't achieve mass control, so I'm just going to control people on a micro level, one that's, at a time. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, so he was generally thought to be of as wrong. So. <laughs> So the whole hypnosis thing kind of went out of style for, for a while. And I think it came back, uh, somebody kind of picked it back up again um, in the 1800s. And it just kind of developed from there. So it really honestly wasn't, at least from my from what I read, correct me if I'm wrong, somebody out there in the world. But it didn't seem like that crazy of a story. <laughs> Except for that guy that was a little nuts. <laughs> so who took it to like progress it you know after him how long did it uh it was you know? mid 1800s is all, all i really okay. okay wrote down um and there was just some names and physicians after that i guess or not physicians but doctors that kind of some kind of just dark. started using it in practice but some kind of dark art i think so yeah it's very skyrim oh and if you really want to do things uh backwards i thought of a rant while we were going here that we could have used at the beginning. <laughs> it's yeah, not a rant, it. though. It's more of a suggestion. Um, Go for it. Go so for remind, it. Well, remind me at the end. Okay. Um, let's see. Yeah, so I think that's, that's actually pretty much it. Um, one thing I'll leave... Uh, one second here. Is that... <laughs> something unexpected as I was going the amount of online classes just you know in a google search about hypnosis trying to teach me for money <laughs> how to be a hypnotist and specifically it seemed like there was a lot of classes from different websites geared towards the stage hypnosis specifically yeah so, well because they're that's entertainment right so you're gonna right. yeah it made sense I just was like damn I have options here I want to do this. Compete. That's true. <laughs> Competing hypnosis schools. That's a good point. We should get in on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I basically know <laughs> enough now. Yeah, the whole thing is. I, I'm, I'm thinking about the stage <laughs> thing again, which you know. I don't think I've ever actually witnessed it in person. Me neither. I was. I thought about that earlier. I have not. I'm curious though. Reminds me of. Uh, how psychics do that whole crowd sourcing thing. You know, they're vague with their questions and all the, you know, a, sim- a similar veil of, or not similar, yeah, pers- I guess, but a person um, comes in for the first time and they're like, you know, just say something really generic. I think you are stressed at home. Oh, how did God. you know? Yeah. How did you know? <laughs> Nobody ever said that to me before. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, so actually, uh, real quick before we, we move on. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you know anything about top-down processing in terms of, like, the human thought process? I had that down as a note. I was just going to ask you about it, if you knew. 
feel like I've heard of it, but I couldn't. Uh, no, I couldn't describe it to you right now. I think it just has to do with um, kind of the the hierarchy of how you take in information and react to it. Okay. Like, based on your environment, I think environment um, plays like a bigger influence on how you remember things if I, and take in information and store it is what the gist of it I got. I could be totally off base, but um, there was a study that they cited that they had people um, watch a movie in a new room, basically, and then they asked some questions about it sometime later, and most people were far better at remembering the room that they watched the movie in than whatever random movie they had them watch. Really? Mm-hmm. And so the TV that would be is... something interesting to go find that proof, because this was one... We'll see how, you know widespread that that finding is but that's that's really cool so the tv it is, is cool. um not at the same level as the room information basically yeah that's what it that's what the study showed huh i wonder if that's because just like you know historically people needed if they were in a new environment like step one of protecting yourself is to read the environment yeah that makes sense that's that's my thought process Okay. So that's, that's it. I, I um I was reading an article about something which got me onto just looking into this era and and asking myself why were people doing some of these things. <laughs> so I'll save the one that I was reading for last <laughs> because it's a good one. Um, but you might think that some of these people were hypnotized into doing a couple of these things. So. I was I was just looking at like the 1930s it was the first spot and where that article was leading me mm-hmm. um, and so I just started thinking about you know like what other dangerous decisions were people making either thinking that they were okay or just not thinking about it I don't know just postulating on the whole thing so I just built a list of some ridiculous things that people were doing um, we'll start what do you mean by just anything in general yeah, it's a little bit of a scattered list, but the running theme here is that ultimately it's kind of baffling that whatever the, usually it's a product, like I uh, got some clothing items, a toy, um, and, but also some some really bizarre ones where people, just the thought process and the danger involved with what they were doing, mm-hmm. they just never made the connection. And I'm not necessarily shitting on this, you know, how could you know? Some of these things they just didn't know. Okay. Um, All right. But, well, I'm excited to... Seriously. Some of the things they did know. That's the other thing. So it's just... And are these like self-account situations or how are they... Eh, information about the situation for each. Gotcha. Got it. So the first one is a toy um, called the Gilbert U-238 Atomic Energy Laboratory. Jesus. <laughs> how do you... Who's going to remember that? an acronym, man. Okay, I'm ready. Um... Wait, say it one more time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the gilbert u-238 we'll just call it that gilbert u-238 okay I can, yeah i can deal with that the 238 so it was a toy that looks like a little um looks like a little reactor it was sold in the mm-hmm. 1950s uh, i'm sorry 1950 yeah and um yeah it looks like uh what you might imagine a little reactor in a movie it might look like or maybe the mm-hmm. uh what's the thing in the the flux capacitor in the Back to the um, Future. Back to the Future, thank you. 
But the thing is, is it came with real radioactive material. What? Yeah. So that's what makes this so crazy. <laughs> it was a toy marketed for kids that came with actual uh, radioactive material, two different kinds. Um, oh, sweet. Not even just one. <laughs> what? Okay. Uh, yeah, you're yeah, right. So what the hell are these people doing? Came with a battery-powered Geiger counter as well. <laughs> Gotta stay safe. <laughs> it's really, it's really incredible. What? So, <laughs> okay, it, I'm not ready for this. Let's go. <laughs> uh, the set originally sold for forty nine fifty. Today's money, that's five hundred and twenty dollars. Damn. Okay. How big is this thing? Um. The part that holds the material probably the size of a baseball, and then it's got um, it's on a, like a little platform, and it's got some arms that come up and you know are holding the the glass ball, this glass ball where the, the material would go. And, you know, it's holding it in like a cool way. It looks all sciencey, and um, and the the case it comes in a briefcase. It's awesome. <laughs> huh. So who the hell? What kid is gonna get a five hundred dollar ball of? <sighs> radioactive material like who wants that yeah I a little kid or who's gonna buy their kid i think it crazy? um i think it came as uh it was powder i think oh okay i want to i'm not quite positive on that um so luckily only a couple thousand i think like two and a half or so were sold uh they did they did stop uh <laughs> oh i'm sorry yes i was gonna ask uh where they all ended up fewer than five thousand kits were sold and it was only offered for two years, 50 and 51. It's still out there, though. Now, isn't that radioactive material still? Yeah. yeah. How da- what, uh, what element or what are we talking here? You know, um, I actually wasn't going to use... Uh, uh, let's see. Oh, sorry. Four glass jars, Karenian... Jeez. Four glass jars containing uranium bearing ore samples. Um, and I'm not going <laughs> to... They don't have the names right here. But... Um, Wow, I have a okay. That's subsets insane. of sounds like subsets of uranium, okay. or 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 actually types of rock actually that have uranium in it is actually I think what that's saying. So a uranium bearing ore. Do you want to move on to the next one? Because I could, yeah. I could ask way more questions about. Um, this I mean, <laughs> go yeah, go for it. It's a it's I just a, don't want to if, I don't want to take too much time on one if you're. Um. Uh, yeah, we got. We 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 got plenty of room to just figure things and out. Was it like uh, was it packaged in, or was it held in glass or plastic or what's going to take so it, me from smashing it, it on the ground? Um, nothing. It comes. It's a it's a red briefcase. It opens up, and inside is the you know disassembled. You got the base. You've got the arms. You've got four jars of radioactive material that each have mm-hmm. like a cloth wrapping around them. The okay. guy the Geiger counter looks like it's in the upper right. And yeah, it's all there, and it's just, it, they look like just glass jars, and uh, yeah, if you dropped that, that, that'd be a bad day. You'd vacuum that up and throw that vacuum away. <laughs> and then move out of state. Yeah. yeah, I wonder how, I don't know really anything about radioactive material, so I don't know if there are ones that are more dangerous than others, or would Definitely. those in theory have, you know, dissipated at this point enough? No. Life-wise? No, I uranium, definitely not. So, I mean, yeah. they're going to be... That's it's dangerous. It's absolutely dangerous. Is it the most dangerous thing? No, but 
if you were to like sleep with that next to your bed, yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> that's my guess, at least. Right. I'm I'm no expert, but my just my gut would tell me that that's that's nothing. That's not good. Okay. Um, yeah, can go on to the next one unless you got other yeah. pressing. Nope, go, ahead. go for it. <laughs> so this is another. This is a, in contrast to that one where I just don't think either they knew and didn't care at least for a minute or, or whatnot they at least corrected it fairly quickly mm-hmm. um these next two are fashion based they're women's clothing and one of them they knew it was dangerous for a long time and continued to do it so the first one okay. is a, called a hobble skirt and it is just a 1920s style dress basically um mm-hmm. where but they pretty much have a belt around their ankles. What? The whole purpose of the skirt is to limit the movement of the woman. And that was seen, at least in some oh circles, as like elegant and, you know, she doesn't have to work hard so she can afford to take tiny steps like that weird kind of rich people logic. I don't know. What in the hell? So Not, was it like a separate piece that went around the person's legs or was it just... It took a couple different shapes, but like you could you could have a dress and then like the belt was like or the strap or whatever it mm-hmm. was was like woven into the dress and part of it. I got you. Yeah. Um, okay. Maybe it was stylish at one point to actually just use a belt. I don't know. <laughs> That's messed up. Yeah, it is kind of messed up. So this one was yeah. only apparently around for I said 1920s. It's actually 1908 to 1914. Um, hmm. Was because I guess they figured out because people got hurt as you might freaking imagine. And oh, yeah. All of a sudden, I need to take a step that's larger than three inches, and I fall. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It was... Uh, it has an origin story, apparently, mm-hmm. um, at the Wright Brothers demonstration in 1908 in Le Mans, France. Um, Miss Edith Hert Auberge asked mm-hmm. for a ride and became the first American woman to fly as a passenger in an airplane. She soared for two minutes and seven seconds. So she tied a rope securely around her skirt at the bottom, at her ankles, to keep the wind from, like, blowing it out. And apparently a a French fashion designer watched her disembark after the flight, and Mm -hmm. she had a rope tied around her ankles. And the way she moved inspired this French dude to, you know, he got he was like, that's, I like that. I'm going to make a dress. That's just a creepy dude who makes clothes, isn't it? (laughs) It's, it's a little absurd, and this uh, this story is the uh, the Smithsonian says yeah it happened. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's a random connection to the Wright brothers too. Right. <laughs> That's hilarious. And that was nineteen. 19- that guy was probably more inspired by the fact that these guys are flying. He needs to profit from something. No, no. I need to demoralize women and create ridiculous fashion. It's ridiculous. At least it didn't last too long. Yeah, that one, yeah. Um, it was responsible. There are documented deaths, you know, directly. Some terrible ones, fire-related, you know, like you said. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. It so that one that one was pretty egregious in the sense that, um, you know, it, it was so direct in its ridiculousness. One, The one that stuck around for a long time first patented in 1856 but existed before that and was used all the way up to the 1940s was a uh i'm gonna butcher this crinoline hmm. i think is how you say that it's a 
it's a hurt it's the skirts from that era where they're really big um and they they come out from the hips and they go real wide oh, yeah, out. yeah and there's yep. a there's a steel uh cage underneath basically that's what's that's doing that yeah that makes sense and um this one the dangerous part of it is again not being able to fit through doors and like well i shouldn't say mm-hmm. again um so that one again there's uh fires and and whatnot involved with this one which is weird because it again, that one stuck around for a long time and it had this weird controversy in the fashion world of um it was first a rich person's thing like i, mm-hmm. I think you know like fashion kind of works yeah and then everybody started wearing them but like the rich people refused to stop wearing them because they liked them so much. I don't know it because normally when the flow of things is that you know yeah you wear it die w- out up top and right right yeah that didn't happen until the the 40s. So it hmm. it was a weird it was a topic of conversation amongst fashion people, which I am not. So I wonder how how many people were actually wearing these things. A decent number. Yeah. It, it was it was popular. Absolutely, could be as much as six meters in diameter at the bottom. So what? <laughs> Did you say six meters? Uh, yeah, di- uh, yeah, diameter, not radius. That uh, that's got to be at the way high end, but they they were big, they were big. Wait, do you know how big six meters is? <laughs> this is the information that's got. Yeah, I do know how much. <laughs> Wait a second. That I guess that's right. I'm going to get you the exact number. 19.6 feet. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That has to be... That was the information I had found, but I I must have not thought about it at the time. You're right. That is actually absurd. There's no way 19 feet in diameter. No, I mean, you you take up the whole room. (laughs) (laughs) Where the hell did I get six meters from? My goodness. Sharon's in there. Don't go in there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was fun. Um, All right. Well... So way. yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to. Uh, no, no, no. That was there, but... no, no. That was really silly. I it's like... I wrote down six meters and didn't even question it. You're right. That is absolutely well because if it was six feet, that makes you'd one. be like that's absurd. Yeah. But that's you at can least see six not feet. larger than a person, or at least a, a big person. <laughs> yeah, you could see how it could be possible. Yeah, you could see six feet, not six, not nineteen point six. Um, okay, so. This one, this one was dangerous and it had higher numbers, I think, mostly because it was um, around longer. But I'll, I'll skip over the details. But it was responsible for thousands of, of deaths, unfortunately, which is just, again, I don't... This next one? No, no, that dress, that particular oh, dress. Oh, wow. yeah, that many, Jesus. Yeah, so, you know, hence going back to my original question of, you know, why continue to make these weird decisions for lengths of time? News got around less quickly. Yeah. Um, so a really funky one that only lasted a little while and I think was only done a few times, but just as genius, really. This is ingenuity. Sending um sending your kids to the post in uh like Illinois in the nineteen thirteens. What do you mean to the post? Through the through the mail service? what so <laughs> the crux the crux of it is that um it took me a second to realize or to get there in my mind because it 
I yeah, just didn't was, think that's what you were saying. That was on purpose. <laughs> so okay. it, it ultimately boils down to um, mailmen that were willing to do this and a, mm-hmm. basically a loophole or just casually looking the other way, depending on what you want to call it. But a the, the per poundage cost for postage stamp. So if, mm-hmm. your kid, if your kid weighed 19 pounds, that was cheaper than a train ticket. And they would just put the kid in the train where the mail is. <laughs> like a pet. Yeah. So um, January 1st, 1913 is when the post office started doing like packages rather than just mail. Mm-hmm. Almost immediately, someone tried this like right away. Right away. An Ohio couple named Jesse and Matilda Beagle mailed their eight-month-old to their grandmother. Yeah. The grandmother only lived a few miles away. Okay. So they they just thought... Wait, did they box it up? So... (laughs) (laughs) That's an important detail. No, no, no. That says a lot about their motives. Right. So the baby was... They just thought somebody was going to come and pick up their kid. Well, you would have known the mailman. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. And they would have had to have been in on it. And in this case, he was. Um, so the baby was just shy okay. of the 11 pounds uh, that it was the limit. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was 15 cents a pound. No, I'm sorry. Just 15 cents at postage. But they did insure the kid for $50. <laughs> Perfect. So the guy, the, the mailman basically just had the kid like in the, yeah. seat, in the seat next to yeah. him. Um, but yeah, 15 cents to send the kid. Uh, yeah, you know, you know what? Right? It's reckless by today's standards, but I can see it. Yep. <laughs> I'm busy. I'm gonna go like you know, yeah, try go. to close outside or something. Just can you take the kid? You know the mailman. Yeah. Can you take him over to grandma's? Yeah. I got shit to do. Because <laughs> going even a few miles. Yeah. Going a yeah, few miles that would have yeah. sucked. What was the mailman on a horse? In a car? Um definitely not a horse. He said nice. No. It, I think this one actually, it only says a few miles away. The, the next one is 73 miles, and it was certainly by train. That's a good question. Oh, oh. This first one here, actually, oh, I don't duh, know. You're already talking train. My bad. Well, no, no. This one is, uh, I only have, the story only had uh, a few miles away in it. Okay. Um, so I don't have exact mileage. Um, so that was one example. In February 1914, mm-hmm. a four-year-old was mailed via train from her home, home, geez, home in uh, Grangeville, Ohio, Idaho, to their grandparents' house, 73 miles away. Again, the post is just cheaper than the train ticket. And um, she actually sat in just on the train, like in a normal seat. So that was just... That's just how they got her on the... Got yeah, her in there. Right. So eventually... Um, let's see. Yeah, so eventually they um, they had to create a law that specifically, you know, no, no old letters. Don't mail your kid. No kids in the mail. Right. I think it only, (laughs) I think it, I think it only lasts like a year or two. Um, but I love that one. I love the ingenuity of that one. Yeah. Right. (laughs) But on the surface, your kid, I could ship this. Yeah. On the surface though, you're like, what? Yeah. at, At first it was ridiculous, but it started to come around. Um, so let's see, we can, what's our, oh wow, we're coming in with a short one here. Um, this one's kind of dark, but the, the whole smoking pregnancy thing, Mm -hmm. 
It was insane. The, the reason, don't do it part. Well, at first it was actually like a prescribed thing. That's that was really, and this one really, yeah. So this one again, they they didn't know. You know, eventually, mm-hmm. people realized. Wait, no, this is definitely not good. But there was a time in at least American hospitals where cigarettes were prescribed for some of the aspects of some of the symptoms of pregnancy. I shouldn't say symptoms, but you know, some of the complications. Mm-hmm. Which, obviously, by today's standards, sounds incredible. Right, but we know way more now than we did, right? So Yeah. Um, yeah, that does seem... That's shocking to learn. What did they think it was helping with? Or, I mean, how it was helping, I guess. The nicotine? Um, it was prescribed for all kinds of things. I mean, menthol cigarettes would have been prescribed for coughs, believe it or not. Oh. <laughs> um, anxiety... You know, mothers wor- yeah, right, mothers worried enough. about. Um, there's a story I prepared. We can not go into it, but um, I should say story I prepared. Just looking at it, um, you know, she was worried about being a good mother and all those things, which are are good things to worry about. It makes you, you know, reflect on how you're going to approach things. I, at least I would imagine. Mm. Um, and he was like, "Oh, you know, you're you're freaking out. You should smoke some cigarettes. <laughs> Chill out." Have you tried cigarettes? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I have. Some of the advertising too. This you could almost do a whole episode on just the whole cigarette uh, advertising industry. Yeah, um, but we I did on a little bit with the uh, a ways back. Yeah, um, we did. But you're uh, right that that's pretty intense. There was some medical specific advertising, and one of the mm-hmm. slogans I pulled out for your patients with sore throats and cough. Philip Morris. <laughs> that's all it is. And it, well, there was a poster and everything. Obviously, we don't we don't yeah. have the visuals, but that's, that's that was the slogan. That's direct. <laughs> Got this for that. Okay. <laughs> Did you say so? Yeah. So that one. Yeah, that one was not good. Okay, so the the one that got me into all this uh, mm-hmm. is called Baby Cages. Uh oh. So it it was a it was first invented I suppose in um, America but became popularized in London. You have an apartment; it's small. You're in the city of London, and you have a kid. And getting out in this time, you know, early industrial age, uh, 1922 is when it was invented. Um, 30s was when it got popular. You know, getting out is difficult. And at the time, there was a book written by a doctor advocating that your infants um, would be better off if they got uh, controlled, but regular exposure to outside and specifically the cold. Mm -hmm. And this baby cage you could put on your four story window and uh, the kid, it looks like, um, yeah, it's like a platform that goes out over the window, out over the street. in, obviously. and... And then there's a, yeah, and it's got a cage around it. Like a window AC unit, but replace exactly. all the AC guts with a baby. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. What? Okay. That's dumb. There's pictures. I don't know if you have picture viewing abilities, but... Um, uh, yep, I will look. This one's worth looking at. I feel like I'm going to get flagged for searching this, but... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's got an interesting... Also, got an interesting or, origin story. Um, in 19... Or not origin story, but... Well, yeah. So 1906, um, 
or I'm sorry, the book came out. It was called The Care and Feeding of Children by Dr. Luther Emmett. And it was came out in uh, 1894. And I looked into it. It, it definitely had some good thoughts. I mean, I don't, I don't think I inherently disagree with his thought that, you know, getting exposure to the elements and, and whatnot is a good thing, right? Yep. All right, we're back. That was a little moment. Technical um, difficulties. That's right, that's right. So I think I was talking about the book. Um, mm-hmm. 19, I'm sorry, 1894, The Care and Feeding of Children by Dr. Luther Emmett. Okay. And um, I was saying that I don't uh, necessarily disagree. That's the guy that put forth, you know, Babies getting exposed to the elements are, it's a good sure. thing for them and all that. And that seems, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's... that's that doesn't seem unreasonable. No. As long as you do it in a controlled and... But why would you... <laughs> the fact that it resulted in what I'm looking at now. Yeah. Is... So in 1906... Okay. Yeah. So in 1906, after reading the book, Eleanor Roosevelt was inspired by this guy and went out and bought a platform and chicken wire and built maybe the first baby cage <laughs> eleanor roosevelt did this in her new york wow. city townhouse um and so I, I don't know why i had invented earlier but it was patented in 1922 mm-hmm. anyway her neighbors called the cops and made her take it <laughs> all right somebody's got some sense in this story um so then in 1922 they were patented in the u.s and um then it took a little while to catch on i suppose uh but yeah they were used in london i don't think all that long but uh some good part of it is i didn't find any actual uh i couldn't find anything bad as far as their function and what that might result in so that's fascinating that there were no issues with there were no reported issues um so what yeah yeah. so it looks like at least the one i'm looking at actually folds down from the window it's like an extra pane on the window yeah and it's hinged as such so you can like once the baby's out of course whether it fell or you brought it back in, baby's not in there, and then you pull it like back towards the window, and it all folds up flat. Right. So it's hinged, and it's got these like two—they're not wires, but these two little straps keeping it from falling, basically. Can you imagine um, a kid that uh, enjoys that? That—that's uh, going to have an interesting impact. Yeah, on do you their feel like you're you're toughening up here? Your kid right there. I would think so. Kid is not afraid to look out of a four-story building. Sounds terrifying to me. I hate heights. Well, I don't hate them, but... I wonder what age you stop putting them in there because they... It's too big. They're like, Mom, this isn't cool anymore. (laughs) Stop putting me out here. I don't like it. Closes the window. That's a real cage. (laughs) Oh, man. That's so terrifying. (laughs) So yeah, that um, that whole baby cage thing. Let me see. Where did you hear that the first time? It was just just an article. How does that make its way into your day? Uh, I think it was Reddit. Honestly, makes sense. Um, Yeah, and I just was again like most people would be. What? What is that? (laughs) Doesn't make any sense at first. No, no, definitely not. It it still doesn't really make the best sense now. I'm looking at it. Um, So those are. The, yeah, oh, can be, can be. Yeah. So, so that's it for the mostly prepared ones. I got some honorable mentions. Um, the gelatin mold food stuff from uh, the 50s, not really dangerous, but 
you know, uh, there was a period where we made a lot of food with gelatin. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And some of them look a little suspect. Like fruitcake? Yeah. Is uh, that fruitcake was born? Potentially. I feel like it might. It's not, it's not made of gelatin, but I can oh. see why you might put it in the same category. Or similar category, maybe. I've never actually uh, seen or had it, so don't know. There's a, there's a, this one, these didn't really fit. I just, they were ridiculous and they came up during my cruising around looking for stuff. Um, there's a competition style called flagpole sitting where it's just poles in the water and you just stand there and the person that lasts the longest wins. But people got intense about it and like a, just a, just like a pole that you could, like maybe six inches rather than six meters in diameter. Can both your feet sit on it side by side, or you got like one foot? It it looked like it varied, uh, but I would say you could just barely get both medium-sized feet on there. Sounds yeah. terrible. Yeah, people got hurt. <laughs> <laughs> um, Do you imagine telling your friends how you got hurt? <laughs> like, yeah, I stood on that pole for 20 hours, and then I got hurt, and I didn't win. <laughs> I wasted my time and now my leg hurts. Uh, there was um, the early versions of the car seat. If you look up pictures, they uh, you don't have to. Um, mm. But um, if, if you're so inclined, listeners, um, there it's a good intention thing, right? They they realize the need, so they're working it out. But the early versions of it just look terrifying. It's just steel bars and chrome bars. Oh my god! And, yeah, it's. <laughs> Oh no! The intent that one's that one's good though. You know the intention's good. Just took a little I wonder while. Wonder how to... effective they were. Um, let's see. Oh, and then the other one was uh, the vibrating um, exercise machine. I was looking at that for a while too because that thing perplexed the hell out of me. It wasn't really. It was. You know. Do you ever see that thing? I don't know where I would have seen it. I don't it think like. so. Uh, okay. Imagine you're standing at uh, a scale that would be the one you step on at a doctor's office oh yeah okay in the yeah and it's got a motor uh, in it mm -hmm. and then it's got a big rubber band basically that you get into and it vibrates back and forth and it was supposed to like jiggle the fat away or something (laughs) where's it gonna go (laughs) (laughs) that is a good way to put it you're not doing any work where's it gonna go um man yeah, the the gym in Michigan that I went to had one of those, and I always I would just hear it from like across the gym. Somebody would get on it randomly every once in a while, and just you just hear the vibrating motor from twenty five feet away. So wait, your gym actually has one? Not the one now, but or you, the, uh, the one that you yeah yeah the one in Michigan did. It was a Lifetime Fitness, so it was like what? you know Globo Gym craziness. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. It was just this platform that... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it had the leg thing that people... And they'd kind of stand in this weird like squat thing and that, or formation and then... So I don't have anything prepared on this because I, I ultimately didn't... It didn't... Mm. You know, it wasn't really part of the theme, but it was just weird. But um, I remember reading about um, that it was kind of making a comeback, actually. Because hmm. it... I don't know. Some people think it maybe can actually do a, a few good things. I've forgotten what they are, but... Because it wasn't necessarily dangerous. I thought maybe you'd like knock a vertebra out of place or something. Oh. No, I mean, it's it's like having your cell phone attached all over your body. Like that kind of vibration, I think. 
I don't think it's real aggressive. Oh, uh, I think some of the old ones were a little, a little. They were like one step down from a electronic rodeo like bowl thing, <laughs> <laughs> tossing you back and forth. Just enough where you're able to hang on, but goddamn, is that unpleasant? <laughs> um. So the thing I was going to say before, I was just going to remind you. Nice. All right. So I have uh, Apple Music, and I was at the gym today, and I don't even know why. I thought to do this, but I checked for the Zelda Ocarina of Time soundtrack, mm-hmm. and it's on there. Pleasantly surprised. Nice. Just recommend that everybody goes and checks that out. <laughs> <laughs> because, dude, all I could think about when I listened to that, a couple of the songs was like, this is such a good example of either, not really one person, but a team, I guess in this case, just fucking nailing something. That whole game yep. and the soundtrack combined. Yep. Shit. Yeah, when that all comes together so perfectly like that, it really mm-hmm. is. Yeah, it's for people like that aren't into video games, killed it. <laughs> but may not. But it's like you know, it's it's all experience, and the music is ridiculous. Now, was that the, the actual music. original music that was loaded onto the cartridge, or was yes. it okay? Yeah, I think so. I don't know what's the. I know there's like some live versions of some songs, but I have um, I have all of them in uh, an orchestra. Did like. Yeah, okay, no, it eight wasn't games. That. They took eight games of it and, like, took all the That's music from eight badass, games. Actually. And, yeah, it was wild. Um, that one song, um, going real deep here, the uh, <laughs> the Gerudo Valley, I think is how you say it. It's the desert song. Yeah. I know you know yeah, the one. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That one, I, that's a good <laughs> I don't think song. I got to that like one that. today. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if, you, uh, if you're familiar with the game, or even if you're not really, but that was just a, I figured I'd remind people of that, how good that is. <laughs> All right, get a hold of us at uh, wanderingbearcenter at gmail.com. Instagram probably would be better. Uh, Twitter's good too. Got shirts on Amazon, got all the good stuff. And uh, thanks for listening. Yep, guys, thank you.